0: Which makes me wonder, do you really care if it's true or not? If it's not true, or at the very least you discover that you don't have good reasons for thinking that it is, would you want to discover that?
1: Absolutely, 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 absolutely,
0: absolutely. What was it about that action that led you to think afterwards, check mark, this passes the test. You know, sometimes we sound a
1: little bit crazy in the church, crazy in the church, crazy in the church,
0: One hundred percent certain that the Book of Mormon is a source of truth. Yes. Did you have the ability to test it?
2: Yeah, I've been. That's what. That's what the research was. Is there's people who have done in-depth studies on like even mm. the way that the Book of Mormon speaks, the way that there's different authors in it, it mm. mm. is all translated by one person. There's there's different scientific researches that have been done into ancient texts, mm-hmm. into the Bible, and other Hebrew texts against this. There's. Archaeological archaeological studies that have been made and that have been compared to things that have been put in the Book of Mormon about temples being built and Mm -hmm. there being civilizations of millions. Mm
1: -hmm. You know, sometimes we sound a little bit crazy in the church. Crazy in the church. Crazy in the church. Crazy in the church.
0: How could we actually tell for sure that what it is you're believing is true? How can we really test it and be as unbiased and neutral on the claim as possible?
2: That's kind of the thing: is you can't really test it by worldly means. It's, mm. it's all based on the person and no amount of science or testing can ever prove one thing or another. Mm. It just stands.
3: Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode 606, Street Epistemology with Mormon Missionaries Part 1. So some of you may remember Anthony Magnabosco. We've had him on the podcast before. He's a very big name in the street epistemology world. And in fact, he's coming to Utah in April for General Conference. Well, he wants to. He wants to come to Utah and do street epistemology uh, outside of Temple Square during General Conference, and he's got a GoFundMe page, I'll put details for that on the website, and uh, today I'm going to be reviewing a video that he did, he released it a couple of weeks ago, where he met two Mormon missionaries on the street, had a conversation with them, asking them, why do you believe what you believe, how did you come to the conclusions that you came to? Uh, so, you know, we're going to have one of these conversations where I interject in the middle of <laughs> a, a, a lot here. I, I have a lot of interjections today, but um, we're going to actually bring Anthony back onto the podcast and you're invited to come and sit in live and interact with him and ask questions if you want to. It's going to be Thursday, January 9th, 7 p.m. Arizona time, which is 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And uh, details will be posted on Patreon. So if you're supporting Infants on Thrones on Patreon, great, check there. You'll get the information on how to log in. If you're not, well, come join us on Patreon. Why not? if you want to ask questions, you can email them to me at infantsonthrones@gmail.com. at gmail.com. But uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do part one today. And then in a couple of days, I will release part two, which is a second conversation that Anthony had. Uh, either with a second group of missionaries, or maybe it was a follow-up with these two. But um, for those of you who served missions, I want you to think about how you would respond to someone like Anthony, or you would have responded to someone like Anthony when you were out on your missions. And uh, it's an entertaining conversation. I hope you enjoy it today. And as always, thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Let's get right to it.
0: Oh, hey, gentlemen. How are you? Good. What's going on? Is for our church. And so we go around and get
3: people free pictures of
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Is that what that one is? I saw this up on the thing. Somebody posted a, a thing of Jesus over here.
3: Did you see it?
1: Heck yeah. That's one of our pictures. Is that one of
3: yours? Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Free pictures of Jesus. Free. No strings attached. Free, string. Free, no strings attached pictures of Jesus. I And so when I did this, as a missionary in Japan nearly 30 years ago, it was uh, free English classes. So we'd, we'd approach people and say, Hey, we've got this free English class. So that's all. That's why we're here. We're here to give away free pictures of Jesus. That's how we're introducing it. That's all. Just free English Kaiwa classes. We're not trying to convert you or get you to change your mind or get you to open your eyes and see how wrong you see the world and right we are. Oh, gosh, these young. Dynamo missionaries. Gotta love them.
0: I don't know why there's a picture of a girl here. Yeah,
3: I don't know about that one either. Yeah. I think you kind of threw that on there. Okay. Added to it.
0: I don't know if you guys stuck that up there or somebody else did. Yeah. Huh. You want one? Not really. Okay. No. <laughs> Would you guys be interested in doing an interview about your faith and why you actually think that it's true? Sure. Okay. Why
1: not? What,
3: what does it entail?
0: It entails asking respectful yet challenging questions about how you arrived at your conclusions. Okay. Hmm.
3: I love that response from the missionary. Hmm. <laughs> Challenging but respectful questions on how you came to your conclusions. I, I don't know what you were like at 18, 19 years old, but I hadn't given really a second thought about how I had come to my conclusions. My conclusions were given to me. And I just, I just, that's just how it is man that's what they tell me every time I go to church that's what my parents tell me my grandparents that this is just how it is this is the world this is the world that I've had since I was a kid so a, a respectful discussion about how like what methods did you use to come to your conclusions you trusted the people that you were around and that you loved and how how much more you thought to be able to you know so what Anthony's doing here, I think is really really challenging. I mean it 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 would have been really hard for me, uh, as as a missionary. I would have been really really eager to have the conversation with him. I, I would have um, saw it more as a competition in a way that um, he was going to try to push his thing on me. I was going to try to push my thing on him, and we'll see whose thing is the better thing, right? So all right, let's watch and see. And and by the way, if you go to the YouTube channel, which I'll link on the website and watch this in person, you can see that one of the missionaries is, you know, pretty eager and engaged, and the other one's a little stand standoffish. Not quite sure if you trust this Anthony Magnabosco guy. He's got he's got atheist stink on him. <laughs> this this is a godless heathen here. I'm not sure if I trust what's going on here, is what this other guy's body language is. Anyway, back to our missionary buddies
0: and let me just caveat it here yeah this isn't to trick you or yeah. be a gotcha or to make you look stupid
3: but
2: it's to like interview like genuine people out there.
0: Yep. now I usually talk to people about all sorts of claims however it's quite obvious that your claim I think would be that that your God is real yeah we can even talk about a completely different claim if you want we can set aside the claim that God is real and talk about something else the idea here with what I'm doing is to take your claim and respectfully explore it with you by listening, by figuring out what your best argument is for your position, and yet gently challenging how you got there.
3: Okay. And, you know, one of the things that I've always found interesting about Anthony's approach with street epistemology, when, when you're asking people about a claim, like a singular claim, how did you come to the conclusion about this claim? M- my experience um, with with folklore and tradition, because I, I used to collect uh, examples of folklore from from people. I'd do interviews and catalog it and put it into archives and categorize things in the archives. It's hard. I always found it really hard to isolate one thing in, like in a vacuum, uh, because it's such a network. Like belief is, is such a complicated network where there's things that rely on other things. So especially, I think, talking with Mormon missionaries, to be able to isolate just one thing, one claim, how you know that there's a God. There's so many other things um, that are just attached to all that, that it's really hard to focus on on one, I think. But um, let's see how well that happens in this conversation.
0: you wanna give it a go? And here's the other thing too. You have full control over this. Okay. In fact, if you want, I could even put some blue tape over your name tags so your names aren't even apparent. I can even blur your face or at the very least at the end of the conversation if you are worried about it you can okay. message i'll give you an email and you can say don't use you know, don't use the footage or blur our faces or whatever okay. the idea here like i said is not to embarrass you yeah. it's to be a, a helpful aid in your reflection on how you arrive at your conclusion okay yeah
1: and what is, what is this for
0: exactly i'm doing street epistemology have you heard of it yet? No. You haven't? Okay. Yeah. Well, take these for, for one thing. Okay, thank you. Yes, street epistemology is a conversational technique that you can use with anybody when they make a claim. Okay. In fact, there was just a guy that walked by here who says he's been watching my videos okay. and it's helping him engage with his father on politics.
3: Hmm.
0: So instead of arguing and debating, huh. he uses questions with his dad now. And they've had much better dialogues because he's adopted this approach.
3: Very fascinating. hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Anthony is selling to these missionaries <laughs> the value of street epistemology as a way to have difficult conversations with people who believe different things than you by simply asking questions. Hmm. I think if both people in those conversations are not super attached to their own beliefs, super attached to the outcomes of the conversation, it's, um, it, it's easier to do that. I think if, um, street epistemology is I'm trying to steer you towards what I can see, but you don't see, which is that your beliefs are really baseless. And I'm going to show you how baseless those beliefs are. Um, if, if the person doing street, apolo- uh, street epistemology is really attached to that outcome, it might not work that great. I'm guessing. Um, just from my experience, when I've had conversations with people who believe things differently than I do, it, it, every time every time that I have judged the success of a conversation by how close we are, how close we've come together at the end of it, um, it th- those are ones that seem to be more challenging. Um, but when I go into it just with a genuine interest of why does somebody to believe, believe what they do? And I'm really not going to judge it. I'm really interested just in what are the factors that have brought you to, to believe it. And I accept that you believe this. And I, I, it's okay with me that you believe this. Like really okay with me that you believe this. I think, I, I think the techniques of, of street epistemology as far as asking questions to get to that kind of a outcome is probably, for me, the best way to do street epistemology. What do you think? What do you think? Attachment, dis, uh, disengagement, disattachment. It's very Buddhist. Don't ask me how I've come to uh, accept Buddhism. I, that, that's a claim I'm not ready to defend right now. I don't know. Maybe, Anthony, you can ask me that. <laughs> maybe we could have that conversation when we talk.
0: Uh, you seem hesitant. You seem like you're ready to go. That's kind of the sense that I'm getting. And thats
3: I only fear not
1: that I'd be wrong, but that I'd be saying the wrong thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do that a lot.
3: Oh, I, I love that response. I just, I just love the insight that that response gives into this missionary that I'm not afraid that I'd be wrong, just that I might say something wrong. So it might look that I'm wrong to somebody else, even though I know that I'm not wrong because I can't be wrong because it can't be wrong. But I just might say something that might look like I'm wrong. And then it would be misrepresentation, misrepresenting how what I know is absolutely true. I, you know, I, I can relate to that so much. Um, I'm I'm really glad that that came out.
0: Could there be value in saying something incorrect and discovering later that there's maybe a better way of phrasing it or a better argument for the view?
1: Absolutely.
0: How could you discover that you actually have a better argument for your position if you don't currently surface the ones that you have?
1: Fair point. Absolutely.
0: I want to help you figure out what your best argument is for your view that LDS Church has the truth. Okay. And I want to try to approach it from a very neutral position, even though I I may be a Mormon, I may not be a Mormon. I can even disclose to you where I stand in your claim before we even go, if you want to do that, at the risk of possibly making you more defensive. And if you're okay with that, I'd like to move here so I can actually get you guys on camera too. Yeah. But that, there's there's no pressure either way. Okay. Just like a
1: YouTube video, is that what it is? Yep. Okay.
0: Ideally, yeah. I appreciate you stopping. You guys are okay with me recording this Absolutely. so far, yeah. at least? At okay. Least. My first name is Anthony, by the hey, way. Anthony,
1: pleasure to meet you. I'm Elder
0: Okay. Okay. Those are your last names.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. How do you feel about me? Do you want me to beep those out? Would you rather? Are you okay with your name no, showing? No,
1: no. I mean, we, we represent Jesus Christ. Okay. We do our best too.
0: So. Awesome. I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to share. You know, share your reasons for thinking that is true, and yep. also maybe your methods for confirming the reasons.
3: All right. So this comment, Anthony, is for you, and we can talk about this when when you're on next week. Um, <clears throat> and there's two things really. The first, I just find it interesting that you ended up beeping the names, even though they told you that you didn't need to because they're representatives of Jesus Christ. And, you know, this was a this was a thought that I had earlier when you were mentioning to them that you could, you know, block out their name tags and that sort of thing. My response would have been, uh, no, I'm not going to deny Jesus like Peter did when the cock crowed three times. I'm not going to be the one who denies who I am. I wear this name tag that has my name and Jesus Christ's name on it proudly. So I would, I would never think that you would need to, to bleep out my name. So I'm curious why you did, um, if that was something that you were asked to do later on, or you just made that that choice on your own. So that's the first thing. The second thing, <laughs> um, when, um, when, when I was learning about the Grimm's, you know, the, the brothers, Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm, that co- collected all of those fairy tales in Germany. Uh, the reason that they collected the, the fairy tales and that we have all of these, you know, Snow White and Cinderella and all that stuff, is because they were linguists. They were really interested in the sounds that people made, especially uh, like K sounds, that in some regions the word was with a K and in other regions it was with a G uh, or the P sound, that in some areas it was a, a P, in other places it was an F, in other places it was a V, like the word father that is padre or vader. So they they were interested in the way that consonants shifted from place to place, and they wanted to collect examples of people saying the word, so they could see in, as they're tracing the geography, how do they pronounce different things. But they didn't want to poison the well. they They didn't they didn't want to go in and say, hey, say the word oil for me. Because, you know, some people say the word oil. Some people say oil, Some people say crayon. Some people say crayon, crane, something like that. Um, and so if you ask somebody to pronounce something a certain way, they're more likely to mimic you. So you, you're, you're asking them the question is going to influence or bias their answer. And so in order to avoid that, they didn't tell people what they were doing. They, they just said, hey, would like to know, do you know any stories and so they would record people telling these stories. And as they were listening to the stories, they were really paying attention to the way that the words were being pronounced so that they could collect their data for their study about the great consonant shift. But then at the end of it, they had all these stories and they saw, wow, not only do the, do the sounds of the consonants shift from place to place where there's like a similar structure, but variations uh, in different locations. But there's like that, that happens for the stories in the different uh, narrative, the motifs, the tale types, like the, the structure of the story is pretty similar, but there's these differences, and you can kind of trace that through a migration path as well. Um, anyway, the, the reason that I bring this up is because <laughs> it seems to me, Anthony, that that you're kind of poisoning the well a little bit, like I, being very, very careful to be respectful and let you know I'm not going to try to make you look like a fool, almost as making them think, oh, wait, what? why is he... Warning me about this? What? What? You know, it, it might be counterproductive. I don't know. You You've been doing this a lot longer than I have. But, but um, that um, that was just a thought. I wanted to raise that, and so I want to have this discussion with you um, when we talk next week. How does that sound? And if you want me to bleep out your name, I'm not going to embarrass you, Anthony. <laughs> anyway.
0: Let's start with this what brings you to the campus Uh, are you members uh, of you guys go to the school here or anything like that? Okay, I don't I don't go here either, but we're allowed to be here Yeah, we're allowed to be here to engage with the students, and I think we're going about it in different ways
1: Of course.
0: Uh, If I could give my view on it, I think you're probably going around telling people what they should think maybe? Are you, are you are you doing that? Whereas whereas I'm asking people why they think things. Okay, absolutely. It, I don't want to put words in your mouth though. If that's no, not.
2: We're perfect. We're here sharing what we believe and just helping people come to their own conclusions, and we're inviting them to try things out that we found works in our lives. Yeah. Such as praying
3: and reading scriptures, and really just trying to find who, what they believe. Do you remember the elephant and the rider metaphor that Jonathan Haidt uses in the Righteous Mind? Basically, that the the elephant is kind of like your impulses, your emotions, your feelings. Uh, it, it's, it's your motivation for why you do things. It's your reaction, like your gut reaction to things. And and it's going to do what it's going to do. It's going to go where it's going to go. And the rider is kind of like your intellect. It's your ego. Um, it's, it's the part that kind of um, does damage control when the elephant charges and knocks over some trash cans and it makes up the story as to why that happened and it tries to make up the story as to why that happened to make it be very reasonable why the elephant charged and knocked over the trash cans or whatever it did and and so the that part that that intellect um that that egoic part of us that explains that tells the story about why we did something the way that we did is usually a post hoc construction that's that's one of uh Jonathan Haidt's conclusion from the happiness hypothesis as well as uh, the righteous mind. it's So interesting to me to listen to the, the missionary explain what it is that he's doing. And I think he was a little defensive, Anthony, the way that you asked him. I think that you're around here telling people what to think, and I'm asking them. <laughs> that might be a little combative. Um, <clears throat> because his his response definitely was, oh, no, we're not doing anything bad or wrong. We're just here to help people come to their own conclusions. All right, well, let's think about that for a minute, Elder Bleep. Haven't the people around here already come to their conclusions? Uh, don't they already know what they believe? What? How How are you going to help them come to a conclusion that's their own conclusion? Like, really, what are you going to do to help them come to their own conclusion about something? Like, I understand what what that's really doing is that's a... That that's this post hoc narrative. It's a very defensive stance to go, oh, no, we're not telling people what they should believe. We're not telling people what's right or wrong. <laughs> of course you are. Of course that's what you're doing. Uh, and so it's that, that self-denial. And, and when you're having a conversation, like right off the bat, these missionaries can't really even be honest about their own thoughts and feelings because they're so committed to this role that they're playing as as a representative of Jesus Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They can't even say what their actual name is. They're, you know, elder blank and blank, wearing costumes, doing a performance for two years. And um, so I, I think it's a real challenge. I mean, I, I, again, applaud what you're doing, Anthony, but really to get an honest conversation uh, from... Missionaries, Whew. it's hard, it's hard. And it's not that they're like dumb or bad, but they're they're just doing their best what they think is right. And um, anyway, yeah.
0: Okay, you're out here asking people what they believe. Is that right?
1: Essentially, yes. Okay,
0: is one of your goals to have them believe what you believe? Absolutely. Okay. I think so. I, think I appreciate so. the honesty. Of course, yeah. I suppose if I thought that I had the truth of the matter when it comes to a God existing, then I would be out here doing exactly what you're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The important thing to note though is that the things that we share with people, we never expect them to just take our word for it. That's the last thing we want people to do. Hmm. We believe that this should be a very personal conviction, a very personal witness that you have from this experience. And so what we do as missionaries is we teach brief lessons, sometimes just 10 minutes long, and that's what we do a lot on campus, is just little quick lessons.
0: Do you do them right here on the street, or do you invite people to come to, like, an after-school an after school thing? Either
1: or? or. I mean, we have meetings on Wednesdays and, of course, Sunday mm-hmm. service. Hmm. But we like to people, meet people on campus just to help them out in the middle of the day. We believe that Jesus Christ helps people in all aspects of their lives, Okay. Not just spiritually, but also academically. And okay. So
3: if we can bless anybody's life, through a quick 10-minute lesson, that, hmm. that's our goal. Well, that's quite a claim that that Jesus Christ helps people not only spiritually but also academically <laughs> i'd like to hear a little bit more about that i mean that's that was said with a great deal of conviction um <laughs> okay yeah yeah
0: did it take more than 10 minutes for you to come to accept it as truth or was there some other was there some other Path that you each took—it's a little bit tougher when I'm talking yeah. to two because oh, maybe yeah, totally. you guys arrived at this conclusion differently.
2: No, of course we both arrived at it a different way. We were both raised in the church. Um, mm. I personally just—I didn't really have like my own belief of it for a while. It was—even
0: though you were raised in it.
2: There's there's a point where I, I questioned it myself. I had to get my own answer. I couldn't just rely off what my parents told me the entire time.
3: Beautiful. Uh, um yeah this is this is a a narrative structure um it's it's a very common narrative i've 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 heard missionaries talk about this before i've used this before it's a it's a technique so when when i but before i went on my mission 30 years ago i took a a class at BYU there was a missionary preparedness class so, so this was college credit Learning how to uh, be a missionary and and do the what do they call it? They called it like the commitment pattern and like asking direct will you questions and building relationships of trust. And th- this this is a technique on the BRT building relationships of trust side, where you you really want to present yourself as someone who's relatable to who you think you're talking to, and. the the trajectory that you expect them to go to. So you say, yeah, I started off not knowing kind of just like how you started off not knowing. And then I studied it out for myself and I learned that it was true, just like you're going to study it out for yourself and learn that it's true. And there's so many times in, you know, growing up in the church, you hear this story about how you can't have your own, or, or you've got to have your own testimony. You can't rely on your parents. You can't rely on your teachers. You've got to earn it for yourself. And, so of course he's going to invoke that i mean i and 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 again I, I i don't want to present this as if he's telling this really manipulative bald-faced lie he's he's following the script like we all follow our social scripts it doesn't matter if you're raised mormon or if you're raised somewhere else. there's cultural expectations there's ways that we posture ourselves and and you know, respond to expectations, whether we go along with it or we reject it to some degree and rebel against it or fight, you know, like we're always responding to these things. So they're responding to this really, really strong tradition, this narrative tradition in their role as missionaries. And um, how, how true is it or not? I don't know if it really even matters if he really believes it about himself. So anyway, an interesting way that this is going.
2: And so that's when I really did my own research. I delved into it. I looked at both sides of the argument.
0: Hmm. You actually had some questions about it, and you decided to research it. Mm-hmm. And then, if I understand right, the research concluded when you found sufficient answers to think that it's true? Yeah. Okay.
3: Excellent restate, Anthony. Way to steel man the uh, the argument conversation. This is a really good part of the, the street epistemology technique, just repeating back to them what they said, Letting them respond to it. Yeah. Nice. What was your...
0: Why are you out here actually? You must think that it's true to some extent. How did you actually get to your position? It would
1: be very true. Um, Mm -hmm. I was born in the church like he was,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. but I fell away in high school. And I think that was just a result of being born in the church and... Fell
0: away in high school. Yeah. Can you define what that means?
1: Fell away as in no longer living the standards of the gospel.
0: Okay. Is that equivalent to questioning or is it different?
1: Um, I think you'd be questioning because I was questioning whether or not it was true by the actions. If I knew it was true, and hmm. I probably would have followed the teachings of the church, right?
0: I see. So you must have been questioning at that moment as well.
1: Yeah, I I believe that. I Don't believe, let me put words in your mouth. If no, that's no, not no, the case. Not that's okay. I believe that I knew that Jesus Christ was real. And that God was real. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they knew me personally. I don't know if I knew that. I, I believe that they're more of an abstraction ex, uh, at
0: that point. When you say they.
1: God and Heavenly Father.
0: God and Heavenly sorry, Father. Sorry, I meant, like, Sometimes I don't speak your yeah, lingo, no, so okay, you, you yeah, might yeah, have sorry. to translate a little bit for I me. I said that
3: wrong. Jesus Christ and Heavenly
0: Father. Okay. Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father.
3: Yeah, so Anthony, um, wh- one of the reasons <laughs> that, that the Mormon Church is obviously true is because Joseph Smith was able to see the truth that God the Father and Jesus Christ are two separate beings. Yeah, I know that's going to come as a shock to you because the whole world doesn't know this. This is one of the special secret truths of Mormonism. They're, they're two separate people. I mean, if you saw them on the street, you probably wouldn't be able to tell them apart because they look exactly the same. <laughs> there's, there's this There's this painting that was done of Joseph Smith kneeling in a grove of trees, you know, looking up, and, and there's these two heavenly beings, angels above him. It's it's God the Father and Jesus Christ with these really nicely uh, uh, groomed beards. And uh, they just, they look like twins. It's kind of, cre- it's pretty creepy. It's a pretty creepy picture. Um, I don't think that Mormons really believe that they look identical. It was It was a way of trying to show how they are virtually, I don't know, the same. How, how what you want to do, the, the ideal of Mormonism is to be identical to everybody else in your behavior and your thoughts and your righteousness, one heart, one mind, Zion kind of stuff. Anyway, you probably don't care that much about this, Anthony. I mean, you, if, if you really cared, you would have taken that Jesus picture, probably. <laughs> but anyway.
0: It sounds like research brought you out of your questioning phase.
3: Really? Research? Oh, because you were talking with the other guy who said that he researched both sides. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, I I, um, I, think this is one of those Inigo Montoya moments from Princess Bride. You know, you keep using that word, research. I do not think it means what you think it means. Um, I I don't think he really researched. <laughs> I don't think he really looked at both sides or multiple sides, because there are more than two, right? Um, he said it, and you believed it. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it.
0: What brought you out of that questioning phase? Uh, testing it. Testing it?
3: We have a belief called the Word of
1: Wisdom at our church.
0: There's a ton of people coming and it's going to get really loud. Okay. So we can either wait till they pass and or, um, raise your voices really loud. Okay. Because I want to make sure that it gets picked up by the, by the we speakers. the speakers. to wait or speak up? Why don't we wait and just chill out just a little bit, if that's okay? If you're not pressed for time, before that crowd of people walked by, you mentioned that you had the ability to test the claim that these gods are real, that there's Jesus and there's—did you say the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, essentially. Mm -hmm.
1: And I did that through what they call the Word of Wisdom.
0: The Word of Wisdom. Yeah. Was there a testing component for you as well, or was it strictly research?
2: It was research and and testing.
0: Mm OK. Can you tell me a little bit about the testing methodology that you use to get to your conclusion that this is true?
1: Of course. So the word of wisdom, essentially, is don't drink coffee or tea. We don't smoke. We don't drink. We don't use illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. And
0: these are dictates, though, right? Like, how, are these, I'm sorry, did you want to finish?
1: Considered commandments, yeah.
0: Is this how you went about testing to see if it was true?
1: Yeah, I just I went cold jerky on all of those.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Cold turkey. Cold turkey. Okay.
1: Because there's
2: promises with the word of wisdom that if you do these things, if you don't drink coffee, if you don't drink tea, if you don't do, if you don't smoke or do illegal drugs, that you'll find your body to be in a healthier condition, your mind to be more alert, and all hmm. these things, all these benefits that God can give you in your life.
0: Hmm. Was this how you went about testing it as well, or was it... I went
2: it through the Book of Mormon, which is what we usually help, like, this is the ultimate thing that we have people test, is the Book of Mormon, because it's the keystone of our religion, is what we call it, mm-hmm. because if the Book of Mormon's true, then our religion stands, and if it's mm. not true, then our religion
3: falls. Yeah, the, the Book of Mormon being the keystone of the religion is probably the the claim. Like, if you're going to focus on a single claim and try and narrow it down to a single claim, um, the the Book of Mormon probably is the easiest one to do that with, because there's already that expectation among members of the church. Cause this is another one of these things that you've heard over and over and over again, that the book of Mormon is the keystone of the religion. If it's not true, then the whole church isn't true. Except of course, when you find out that the book of Mormon is, is telling stories about people that didn't exist. Like there's all kinds, of, if you're talking about testing the book of Mormon, don't bring up DNA testing. Don't bring up any kind of anything where you're trying to find traces of an ancient Jewish society in the Americas, uh, whether it's cultural or biological, I mean, linguistic, it's just not, it's nowhere to be found. So trying to test the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon based on those kinds of real world facts um, kind of backfires. And then you have to, as, as a Mormon, if you're going to still believe in it, there's things that you've got to do, the mental gymnastics stuff, and a lot of people do it. Um but so yeah the, if if there is one claim to test for for future um conversations, if you ever do this with Mormons again, that might be an easier one for them to to talk about what you what you're gonna find is that they say that they've tested it, but they haven't really it's it's the they've been told that it's true and they believe it. you know like with this this missionary saying that he used the word of wisdom as a way to to find out that the church was true because he. Was drinking and probably smoking pot and things like that, and then he stopped cold. He could have just stopped cold turkey, and he felt better. Um, th- that's probably what he means by it. But is that really a test? I don't know. That that's that's how he came to believe in God. That it was that God really knew him as a person. And I think there's more of a story there to to get out from him, but and and maybe it's like going back and forth between these two guys, you weren't able to really get into it, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did yeah. you
0: test the Book of Mormon to determine that it was actually true?
2: So there's a lot of people who do worldly tests because it claims to um, be a record of the people in the ancient Americas, and so people go through, they compare the record in here to the record like archaeological sites and stuff like that, and there, there have been similarities and stuff like that. Hmm.
3: Yeah, this guy hasn't really researched it.
2: <laughs> but. There's a promise, this is a spiritual promise, so it doesn't go through the worldly sense that if you pray to know if the book of Mormon's true, you will really receive an answer.
0: Okay. There's something in the book that says I want to repeat this back so I'm yeah. not so I'm totally understanding it, and yet also for you to hear what it is you're saying. Yeah. If I understand what you're saying, there's something in the Book of Mormon that says you can do a set of actions to get an answer that will confirm to you that the book is true. Yes. Okay. And that's your test. You did that, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Did you really do it? Yeah. You did? Okay.
2: Uh,
0: Because sometimes I meet people that I'm wondering, did they really do it? Or did they just read this that says that you can do it? And maybe they thought about doing it or they heard other people doing it. Or maybe they sort of like, they thought about it maybe over the weekend and they, they, they just say that that was me doing it.
2: I think that's something that I know for one. I really had to do it because this is two years of my life and I'm putting on my line and the rest of my life afterwards, I'm putting on the line here. Do I really want to go hmm. and spend two years of my life preaching for a church if I don't truly know it to be true myself? Okay. It just kind of seems fake and there's a lot of social pressure in the church sometimes. I, sure. I I don't really give in to social pressure though. Good for you.
0: Good for you. Seriously. I'm a stubborn guy. <laughs> oh, good. I know. I, I think uh, the social pressure that can come with... Uh... That, that was actually like seven or eight minutes. Okay. Can I finish my thought? And then you can ask me any question you want, yeah. or we can keep going. I would imagine that the social pressures to conform to certain beliefs can be driving a lot of a lot of the reasons why people actually think that it's true. But I'm getting the sense that that's not the reason that you're, that, that you acknowledge that that's a possibility.
2: Yeah, there's, there's some people that have that social pressure, but really what we try to teach in the church is to not be socially pressured into it. Find your own,
0: mm-hmm. right,
2: test it for yourself.
0: Yeah, I love this idea of being able to test our beliefs to see if they match the claim.
3: All right, listeners of Infants on Thrones. What do you think about what that missionary just said about the you know, we teach people <laughs> in the church not to not to conform to or respond to social pressures, but to just figure things out for yourself. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that he believes that? I believe that he believes that. Uh but jeez, uh, it's it's he just doesn't have the tools to even be able to see it. It's it's that whole fishes that are in water their whole life don't really even know the difference between water and anything else. They just, you know So to be able to talk about it, to be able to talk about the role of social pressures when that's really all that these guys have known. I mean, the, the, the one that said that he fell away in high school because he was drinking and smoking pot or whatever he was doing, he was very vague about it. But he didn't. He didn't have social pressures bring him out of it and put him onto a mission, really. Th- this missionary that said that uh, he didn't have a testimony for himself, but he couldn't rely on his parents' testimony, had to get one of his own? That's got social pressures baked right into the answer. So I, they just—they don't really know. They don't—they don't really know to be able to talk about it. And having this conversation might put a little splinter in their mind that at some point they'll come back to it maybe it'll be one of those memorable things I had things like that happen to me on my mission where I had conversations I've, I've talked with this I've talked about this one on the podcast a couple times before but but one guy that I, I sat down and said tell me about the purpose of life he goes wait how old are you <laughs> you're, you're what 19 20 years old he was probably in his mid-30s he's come back here in 15 years after You've got a, a wife and kids and a family, and then we'll sit down and talk about the purpose of life. And that was a really hard, honest answer from him that I wasn't prepared for. But it really, really stuck with me. So, so maybe there will be some things like that um, with this that will kind of get them to think more critically about what's just so natural to them. Right now, but I don't think they're really in a position to answer these things with any objective objectivity or perspective, because they don't they don't see the social pressure, and and anything about social pressure would sound like a condemnation of the church, um, and church culture, and they're dedicated to not misrepresenting the church that way, to to making the church look as good as possible. So they're not they're gonna say we don't do social pressure.
0: How did you determine that this was a successful test, that you actually, that the claim passed the test? I know that you each did different tests. Maybe we can go to you because your your friend has been talking for a little bit. But can you take me through your testing process? Do you want to tell me a little bit more about it? How did you test it? I understand that you, you decided to stop consuming specific items. Correct. What was it about that action that led you to think afterwards, check mark, this passes the test?
1: You know, sometimes we sound a little bit crazy in the church because we talk about these miracles and blessings that come into our lives when doing these things. And you may think to yourself, "I'm not going to drink a cup of coffee, and miracles and blessings will happen in my life."
3: That is so interesting to me that he led with this idea of, "I know this is going to sound crazy. I know people think this sounds crazy. What that means to me is that he recognizes." <laughs> He already recognizes that the things that he's gonna say are proof for him aren't going to be satisfying proof or evidence for you, Anthony. Um, Boy, that that that, I that's really interesting to hear him say that. I wonder where this guy's gonna be in ten years.
0: And Mm. I mean, whether strictly from refraining from drinking coffee, correct? Yeah, you were noticing things happening in your life to confirm to you that. By not drinking coffee, and that's what the book says. This is how I can test the book to be true.
1: You know what? That's actually not even in the Book of Mormon, the coffee part. We believe that that was a revelation that was given to a prophet mm-hmm. that we shouldn't do that. Okay. And,
0: Would you mind talking just a little bit louder? I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, sorry yeah, yeah. about that. That's okay.
1: Um, so, the way I well, get my voice naturally goes lower too, but yeah. <laughs> just,
0: just for the pur- purpose of ca- recording this video. Oh, of
1: course, yeah. Uh, the amazing thing about the Church, and about the Book of Mormon, and about the Word of Wisdom, and everything that we do in the Church when we test it, if we're looking for an answer, the answer we get is very specific to us. It's a very personalized spiritual answer that we believe comes from uh, God. So almost undeniable when we get the answer.
0: Is it a personal answer to you, too, or would you differ yeah. on that?
1: There was a time that I was alone in the car,
2: listening to music, and just that personal answer. For some reason, a thought came straight into my mind, like, it's true. Hmm. When I, was, I wasn't dwelling on the subject, I was just kind of minding my own business, doing my own thing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, that thought went straight in my mind, straight in my heart, and I felt hmm. the Spirit.
0: Hmm. Okay. I
2: felt peace. I felt joy and happiness.
0: Okay. Is it possible for somebody to have a personal answer like that for a confirmation that your holy book is true, or a completely different holy book is true, or a completely di- different God is real? do you think a person can have a personal answer after embarking on a series a a, a series of research and and um, testing and they it pops in their mind that it's true could somebody actually have that happen to them and be concluding that something is true when in reality it isn't
2: here's here's kinda my thoughts on that is God is good right? God is perfect and he leads us to do good things and so
0: if he exists.
2: If he exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going off the assumption that he does because I, I for one, know that he does.
0: Hold on a second. <laughs> I and don't know that, if I could that, let that, that go.
3: That's my knowledge is I know.
0: You started with the assumption that he's real before embarking on testing to see if he's real.
3: Yeah, but the, the word isn't assumption. It's knowledge. You start with the knowledge because it's drilled into you as knowledge, not assumption. It's not what it really is. Knowledge, <laughs> not an assumption. I just looking at the world and everything
2: has shown me that there is a higher power, mm. and that's just the only conclu- logical conclusion that I can draw to. So that's the assumption I started off with: mm. is that there is a higher power.
0: Did you start with an assumption as well? Yeah, of course. You did. And okay. that comes
3: with just a faith or a hope that things can be better and that there's an answer to the questions I had. You know, I really like that answer from that missionary there because he says, "Yes, of course, I started with an assumption, and then I." have a hope and a faith that it's right. And I kind of wish Anthony that you would have followed up there with him a little bit and said, "Okay, so so is is a hope and a faith the same thing as knowing? Is is you know because with the epistemology you're asking how do you come to a knowledge of things? But if they're able to admit, "Yeah, I don't really know. Uh this is just something that I hope is true." Um I think, I mean, to me, that would be, that would be progress because so many times the, the faith and the hope get reframed as knowledge when it isn't really knowledge, and that gets really, really confusing to a lot, a lot of people. So anyway, I, I like that response from that missionary.
0: Last question, and then I would like you to ask me any question that you feel like you would like to ask. Okay. Why would you embark on testing if you've already assumed that it's true?
1: One, because I didn't have the answer for myself. And two, because I wasn't happy in my life. And so, Hmm. any sort of hope for happiness was something that I was sincerely looking for. I was looking in personal development books and seminars, whatever I could get my hands
0: Hmm. on. Hmm.
1: Looking for this peace of mind of why I'm here, how can I be successful in this life?
0: Did this belief fill that hole for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Well, I have a whole bunch of more questions that I'd love to ask you. However, we have another cadre of teenagers walking by, yep. so it's going to be noisy. And uh, I said that would be my last question, yep. unless you want to keep going. Uh, whatever
1: you whatever you prefer.
0: Well, my preference would be to keep exploring this with you. OK. But, you know, let's make this a back and forth. Do you want to ask me a couple questions about my stance yeah, on your claim or anything like that?
1: Well, what, is, what is your belief? Let me just directly ask you that then. What, is, what are your thoughts on this, what we're sharing with you?
0: I, I get a little alarmed when I hear people who say I've started with the assumption that it's true and then I set out to test it to see if it is. Because I'd be worried that I'd be imbuing a bias in my outcome. Okay. And I, but to my question, too, I'd be wondering, well, why would I actually care about testing it if I've already started with the assumption that it's true?
3: Hmm. I, don't, I don't know about that uh, answer there, Anthony. Uh, starting off with an assumption that something's true, I mean, isn't that how a lot of scientific... Tests are, are 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 created. You know, there's that there, we're testing to see if this is true. We think that it is under these conditions. We we have the assumption that it's true. We're going to test to see if it actually is or not. I think maybe instead of the word assumption, it's conviction. Like if you've already decided that it's true, then the question why you're why are you testing it? But I don't know. I mean, even even then, all, always constantly testing uh, to see if it's really true or not. why, why is that alarming to you? Why is, that, why is that a concern to you? That's interesting to me, Anthony. I'm going to write that down. We'll talk about that.
0: Which makes me wonder. I know this is about you asking me stuff. But yeah. you're making me wonder, do you really care if it's true or not? If it's not true, or at the very least, you discover that you don't have good reasons for thinking that it is. Would you want to discover that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: What do you think?
2: Um, I didn't start off with the assumption that this specific religion is true, I started off with the assumption that God is real. And I didn't know which religion Hmm. was the true one, and that's the testing that I went about and did, to see if this is truly the true church.
0: What was your assumption? I think you had said that you had also started with an assumption. Did you make a delineation between God and and the religion?
1: I'd say yeah, for sure. I I guess it wasn't... I believe that the religion is true, Mm -hmm. although maybe I would have already, but...
0: Do you think that your upbringing could have any bearing on your initial assumption that the God was real?
1: Absolutely. I think if yeah. I grew up Hindu, I'd probably think that that God is real. Yeah. I think it's the same God, but... Hmm. I mean, we all pray to the same God, essentially.
0: If somebody was raised in India to believe that Vishnu was real, and then later they discovered a, a specific Hindu religion, because they started with the assumption that that was real, yeah. and maybe they even set out on testing it, yeah. and they noticed things that were happening in their life to confirm that it was real. Could somebody go through all those steps and be 100% sure that it's true, when in reality it isn't?
3: When in reality it isn't, oh, Anthony, we could go into some big, big discussions. I don't know that this is really the kind of discussion that you like to have with me, but. Uh so you've got a pretty strong claim here that in reality there is no Vishnu that that Vishnu isn't real as as an identity of a god and where I'm going to where I would challenge that is what like what is reality to in reality in in reality what is what the what the hell is reality reality is in, includes the lived experience of every single person right And so if you have people who believe in the God and they act as if they're a God and they're they're deeply ensconced in this thing that none of us can escape, confirmation bias, that we, we have certain assumptions, we have certain beliefs, we've made up our minds about certain things. And so we interpret the evidence of things around us to support that thing that we assume, or are convicted, and we're, we're blinded to the things that don't. That's one of the great things that I love about what you're doing with street epistemology, is calling into question, why is it that you have these assumptions? Why is it that you have these beliefs? But when you're saying that it's outside of, it, 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 they don't exist in reality, I think that ignores what is really going on. And, and what's really going on is all of these fictions that we might say, well, they're not real, but they are real. They're fictions. They have a real impact in people's lives. They have a real impact on people's health, mental health, physical health. It's all real stuff. They're real artifacts, even if they're made up. They're man-made constructs. This idea of Vishnu as an avatar of God, one of many, just like. You are an avatar of God, and I am an avatar of God, which is part of Hindu belief. I don't know that much about Hinduism, but it's not a—it's like Vishnu is not like Jesus to them. Anyway, this this idea of like—I'm going to have to go back and listen to your question again, what you asked the missionary, um, because I—I I don't know. I—I th- I think that this kind of intellectualizing. And, and compartmentalizing which parts of the fictions that I believe are fictions and which ones are not fictions is really messy because I think at the end of the day they're all fictions in the sense that they're all incomplete, they're all inaccurate. They're all only as complete and only as accurate as our ability to perceive and understand things. And our abilities to perceive and understand are constantly in flux. And even more than that, they're so influenced by our own confirmation bias all the time, all the way. So anyway, (laughs) that's my little aside for you here. We'll talk about this when you come on.
0: If somebody was raised in India to believe that Vishnu is real, and then later they discovered A a specific Hindu religion because they started with the assumption that that was real. And maybe they even set out on testing it and they noticed things that were happening in their life to confirm that it was real. Could somebody go through all those steps and be 100% sure that it's true when in reality it isn't?
1: The answer to that question I would give you is that the Spirit of God, they believe, testifies of truth. And so the Spirit can testify. Of what you may consider to be a universal truth, or, or principles that are true. Now, whether they have the fullness of the truth, mm. I I don't know if I would say so. But if you're doing things with the intention of best following God and you're doing your best, I believe that the the Spirit of God will testify to you that you're doing good things. And he wants He wants to bless us. is what we believe.
3: Wow. What, what do you do with a response like that, Anthony? Because basically what you were asking him is, is it possible for somebody to believe in something with a hundred percent certainty that isn't actually true? And I think the missionary sniffed that out and it made him retrench and, and start talking about, you know, like, Oh, we're still talking about this supposed person in India. Are we, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to say that they're not true, so I'll say they're doing the best that they can, but they don't have the fullness of truth because only Mormons have the fullness of truth. But he's not really even coming close to your question, which is really, do you recognize that someone could have 100% certainty in something that isn't actually true? You're talking about him, Just, you know, dressed up as this hypothetical India, Hindu, Vishnu question and maybe he got it maybe he didn't but he didn't answer your question what what you know you're he's still operating from the assumption 100% that god will do always take care of people and we don't have to worry about things like that and that's the dodge that that's that's the way to avoid having to face the question that you're asking which is do you recognize that you could have 100% certainty in a belief that may not be true that is not true. That doesn't exist in reality. I, just, I don't know how. I, yeah, I don't know what 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 do you think about the response from this missionary? How how do you uh, determine wh- whether it's a successful exchange uh, or not? Because I I think he's he's not really responding doesn't really understand the question. It certainly doesn't know how to answer it.
0: Does it require, starting with the assumption that the God is real, and being exposed to it at a, at a young age, to believe that the Spirit, what'd you call it, the Spirit of God? Yeah, that, the Holy that Ghost. The Spirit of the Holy Ghost is real. I mean,
2: go ahead. So you're asking, Do you understand my question? I can repeat time, it. So you're asking if, because we were raised this way, that's why we. You have to do okay.
0: Record, record, record. Yeah, please. Sometimes I ask questions, and I even confuse myself. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to confuse anybody here. The last thing I want is anyone to be confused. Yeah. I think you were saying yeah. that um, the way that your situation would be different is different than somebody who was raised with a belief in India and he came to believe that Vishnu was real, and then gravitated to a specific religion and they start seeing all these benefits and they even see positive results to confirm their testing. The way that you're not in that category, you're different because the the spirit, of, uh, the spirit of the Holy Ghost is real. So my point though is, how does a person conclude that the Spirit of the Holy Ghost is real? Does that also start with the assumption that it's real? Or something else? I
1: would think so. I think it starts with a faith or a hope. That God is real and that He wants to bless us in our lives. I think that has to has to be within everybody who's looking for an honest answer to
0: the question. What do you think about what He said about faith and hope? Would you say that those are required in order to be sure that what it is you're thinking and you're out here promoting is actually true? Hmm. Trying
2: to think about that one.
0: Because take your time. I should have said this much earlier. I'm not going to let him
2: influence me. Please don't. I'm, again, I'm <laughs> and, and
0: vice versa, yeah.
2: <laughs> We're both pretty stubborn people. But there's some people who don't have any belief in Jesus Christ or even any sort of higher power at all, and all of a sudden they'll start recognizing things like that in their life. And so they don't initially have that faith in a higher power yet. Mm. They all of a sudden will recognize something and say, wait, maybe that's a higher
3: power. That's, that's pretty hypothetical and vague. There are people like that that... I, I think it's a good question, Anthony, um, our faith and hope required, like initial steps on, on the progress to to progress to the point of knowledge. I, it, it makes sense to me that they would be, and then he's saying no, <laughs> because there's people who don't know anything about Jesus, and then they start to recognize these things in their life, and they go, oh, wait, there's a Jesus. I it, It's just not a very well-thought-through response from him, and it's not specific. Like, Oh yeah, do you know any of these people? Have you met these people? Do you did you teach somebody like this? What was that like? I just i i i have a hard time really accepting that that's even a true thing. And then to go from that back to this hypothetical Hindu India guy, I, I don't I just don't know how helpful that is as a technique to talk in the abstract about these things. That really there's a, there's no need to go abstract. Just what what are some of the specifics? To, to have you met these people? Tell me about this more. I don't know. It. it um, yeah. I, I, at, at this point, I'm I'm kind of wondering what is a what is a successful outcome of the conversation here? Because there's a lot of talking past, and and really kind of avoiding the the real questions. Hmm.
0: Could our fellow in India tell me the exact same thing? Sure. That he's noticing things happening in his life, and it's he maybe he wasn't even exposed to it. Maybe he never even started with the assumption that the god is real, or that his religion is true, or that the spirit of Vishnu is, you know, he gets that feeling in his bosom.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, how could we actually tell for sure that what it is you're believing is true? How can we really test it and be as unbiased and neutral on the claim as possible?
2: That's kind of the thing, is you can't really test it by worldly means. It's it's all based on the person, and no amount of science or testing can ever prove one thing or another.
3: Mm. It just stands. Worldly. what Worldly is such a pejorative word in, in Mormon speak. You know, it's like, well, if you're going by the world, you're going to be deceived. Uh, because worldly things like science, they think they know, but they don't really know because our prophets have a, a direct... Link to God, and, and they have that direct link to truth, and they're telling us different things, and we trust them, and and so you want to know, Anthony, why it is that they trust the the words of the prophets um, over science <laughs> or reason, and they're just in no position to to really grapple with that that question. Um, it's it's tricky, it's tough. It's complicated, and um, yeah.
0: It's untestable?
3: It, it is untestable, you know, even though they told you before that it's testable. But but the way that it's testable is to to pray about it. And if you look at the Scripture in the Book of Mormon, it says that you have to start with a desire to believe that it's true and then ask if it's not true. But so e- even the question that you asked earlier, um, is there a requirement for faith and and uh, hope before the confirmation of the belief, that's that's baked right into the scripture. Moroni 10.3, I think, is what it is, if I remember right.
0: Behold, I would exhort you that when ye shall read these things, if it be wisdom in God that ye should read them, that ye would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time that ye shall receive these things, and ponder it in your hearts. And when ye shall receive these things, I would exhort you that ye would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things.
3: So, um, there's also... Scriptures that say don't ask for a sign, don't ask for confirmation if it's true or not, because that that really makes the Lord angry, that makes God unhappy, and uh, there are stories in the Book of Mormon of atheists who were going around preaching their atheism and mocking God and saying, "Well, I demand to see a sign." And you know what happened to them, Anthony? They were struck dumb; they couldn't speak. And then they said, oh, I know I shouldn't. I mean, they wrote it down because they couldn't talk. Uh, they wrote it down. Um, I, I shouldn't have asked for a sign. I knew I really knew that there was a God the whole time. Uh, it's just an angel came to me and deceived me, uh, an angel of the devil, and deceived me. And um, that's why I didn't believe that there's angels. I mean, it's a really weird story in there. But it's this, this kind of stuff that's that's been hammered into these missionaries so when they see you out there you're like one of these atheist villains from the book of mormon who's trying to spread the word that there's no god and that you should question your beliefs and doubt your beliefs and that's worldly man and if you if you're resting just on the world good luck to you because the world's going to crumble and fall and uh you need to you need to be attached to the prophets it's it's so emotion-based it's so tied up in emotions and relationships and that social pressure and just fears and fears and fears that it's, it's really tough to try and come in just with intellect and reason alone and think that's going to cut it Uh, because it's, it's not, there's just so much more that's going on. That's connecting them to their beliefs and so many things that their beliefs uh, are doing them to connect them to other people that they care about and their own personal identity it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot going on.
2: In a proving hundred percent certainty worldly sense, not to the fullest extent.
0: Are you one hundred percent certain that the Book of Mormon is a source of truth? Yes. Did you have the ability to test it?
2: Yeah, I've been that's what that's what the research was, is there's people who have done in-depth studies on like even mm. the way that the Book of Mormon speaks. The way that there's different authors in it. Mm, but mm. it's all translated by one person. There's there's different scientific researches that have been done into ancient texts, mm-hmm. into the Bible, and the other Hebrew texts, against this. There's archaeological archaeological studies that have been made and that have been compared to things that have been put in the Book of Mormon about temples being built and there mm. being civilizations of millions.
0: Mm. And yet, in order for somebody to validate that to, to conclude that it's true, they would have to embark on the test that the book itself recommends that you do the spiritual journey. The spiritual no journey. amount
2: of secular learning can prove God. Okay. It would take the entire essence of needing faith in Jesus Christ out of it. Say that again. It would if you could prove using like if you could prove a hundred percent certainty mm-hmm. that God is real, then you no longer need to believe in Him and have that faith. It it no longer is a, a test because that's that's something that oh. we believe is that. Oh! You need to be tested that there's a God. It's not the, just... Hmm. You need to go through a test. Does that make sense?
0: This is what I hear you saying. It may not be what you're saying. It almost sounds like you're saying it's more virtuous to believe that it's true without testing it and take it on faith that it is true. You're if that's testing, not what testing, you're saying... Testing
2: it in what sense?
0: Testing it to the point where we can determine that it's factually true or not
2: like God is factually true,
0: or... Like God is factually true, or maybe that the claims in the book are factually true, or that the feeling that you're getting when you abstain from drinking coffee for a significant amount of time is a good verification that it's true.
2: It's not that it's more virtuous to go without testing. You should definitely test and try it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You should definitely know what you're talking about.
0: I almost sense that I'm getting two messages here, that that it's not necessary to test it, and that... Uh, that you should be testing it. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but...
3: Uh... Oh, Anthony. Uh, yeah, I, I understand your your Gentile confusion because, you know, it, it's, it, it's hard to not be Mormon and then, like, be confronted with the truth like you're being confronted with from these missionaries. Tongue-in-cheek right now. You, you, recog- you can tell tongue-in-cheek, right? The, what, he's, what he's saying to you is definitely test it. It's definitely important to test it, but don't test it on worldly facts alone, because worldly facts alone aren't going to prove anything. It might only come up with 45% veracity. Who knows? Put a number on it. But the, but the gap, in order to get to 100% where he is, has to be filled by the spiritual confirmation that comes through the feelings of the Holy Ghost. When you pray and you ask God directly, is this true? And then God directly gives you the answer that you receive through your feelings that it's true. And so the reason that the missionaries are getting really defensive right now is because they can tell that you don't put any credence into this whole spiritual confirmation mumbo jumbo. You're talking just about facts, and that means that you're lining up with just the world. And they're going, "Uh, okay, yeah, this guy's not, we're not going to get anywhere with this guy. Because... Yeah, he's just focused on worldly stuff, so he's going to be deceived for his entire life. Because God wants people to be a little bit confused. He he doesn't, you know, God could just open up the sky and stick his head down and go, "Hey everybody, believe in me." But he doesn't. Why doesn't he do that? Because he wants everybody to have some degree of doubt. You are absolutely right when you ask is it, it's more virtuous for somebody to just believe without a confirmation. It's totally more more virtuous. They had they had a hard time answering that question but you were right you were right with that that that's the worldview that you're dealing with here
0: let me let me just put it this way can a person be 100 percent sure that that book is a source of truth without any testing whatsoever
1: no you, you, need, I think it, it just you need to be like an
0: opinion then, an uneducated opinion it would be an uneducated. yes this book of mormon or any other holy book, for that matter, possibly, yeah. would be an opinion, if the person didn't have the ability to adequately test the claim.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you can do that with any book. Mm-hmm. Magic Tree House. This is the best book ever.
0: Mm.
1: What's inside of it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Way cool picture on the front of it, though.
0: Mm-hmm. Great that, stories. That's why it's. It Make me book. feel good when I read it. Yeah. Huh. Last question, and then please ask me questions, because I really do want this to be a back and forth. And I have a tendency to keep asking questions in return. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's part of my nature, I suppose. Um, If you discovered that you don't have a good way to adequately test the claim, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: meaning there's no way that I can really determine that it's true or false in this life. If you discovered that you can't test it, would you lower your confidence in the claim?
2: Very much so. I feel like if someone came up to me with a new version of the Bible and said, look at this, this is truth, I wouldn't be, like, without a way to test it for myself, I Mm -hmm. would kind of sit there like, what do you want me to do with this? How do I know if it's true?
0: Okay. Testing is important for you in order to conclude that this is a true claim. How do you feel about that? What do you think? Same thing, yeah. Okay. Well, I've got like a million more questions for you, but uh, (laughs) gosh, I'm so tempted to keep going. I really think we can fully explore your justifications and your methods for arriving at this conclusion if we stick around for another 30 minutes um, but one of the advantages of this approach yeah. is to go at the speed that my conversation partners are comfortable with because oftentimes i ask questions that maybe you never heard before yeah and hopefully that's the case. And hopefully, remember at the very start we were talking about, well, maybe I would say something and then I'd discover that maybe that's not the best reason. Maybe
2: there, it's not the best way to explain it. Yeah, I think yeah maybe it's not the best so reason. So it myself, it's like, <laughs> this is my excuse. Oh, wait, no, it's not exactly that. Yes,
0: I really wish I worded it differently or used a different definition of that word or whatever. That was,
2: that's true, but there's also mm-hmm. this, which is more the reason why I did it. I feel like I used yes. an excuse with my parents. It's like, this reason. It's like, <laughs> well, it's kind of that reason, but it's more this reason. It's...
0: Yeah. So here's the way that I look at it. I kind of, I'm going to use like an American football metaphor. Like maybe we started at the zero yard line and then maybe we've advanced to like the 40 yard line here. Like I really think we've made some significant progress.
3: Really? The 40 yard line? I don't think you guys are on the same field, Anthony. (laughs) What, what, what is it about this conversation that you feel like is, has, has progressed? I don't I, I still don't really even see you guys talking on the same level. I don't think it's the same field. Um and in your American football metaphor, what what is a touchdown uh compared to a field goal or a punt? Because I just I'm hearing a lot of fumbling. <laughs> not 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 from you. I mean, I, I I I don't think you're familiar enough with the rules of the Mormon game of football to really know where you are on the field when you're engaging with them. But I, I got really excited when I heard this, this missionary going, yeah, you're right. I, I haven't, uh, like I'll say something and then I'll think, oh, there's better words to describe it. He got much more animated in that, in that moment. I'd like to hear him talk more about that, but I still, I still don't quite get where the progress is because neither one of them is really any closer to, Questioning why they believe what they do, I, I, I haven't seen any, any evidence of that. But, I don't know, forty yard line, okay, all right, rah 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 rah.
0: But maybe you go back, and maybe as you're walking away, you talk about it, or you call somebody else in your organization and say, I have these really good questions, and what, you know, what's the best answer? You might actually come back here, and then we might actually start at the ten yard line, you know, because you've come up with some better reasons. But I think if you keep coming back and we can keep exploring them, then we can keep advancing or, mm-hmm. or uh, retreating down the field. Maybe it's not the best metaphor. I don't know. I get you. You get my point? I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's value in thinking about the reasons and methods that we're using it to get to our conclusions, yeah, even though we may have regretted how we explained it initially, I suppose. Wonderful. That was cool. Yeah. You want to ask me some questions?
2: What exactly is this method that we are
0: There's a card. You can look all into it. I think I gave you a sticker. You.
2: Yeah, you did. Yep. What, but what, what's exactly the method that we just used? The asking questions sort of thing? I was
0: using questions to fully reveal your reasons for thinking that it's true mm-hmm. and your methodology for concluding that it's true.
1: Yeah.
0: And testing was was a very important theme here. Yeah. Like, is it really important or is it not? You know, I actually am still a little kind of hazy on it for you guys.
2: That, that's the thing is it, it's a mix of hmm. testing and faith is you can test it to a certain point, but you can never get that 100% certainty. The rest, you walk by faith.
0: Hmm.
2: And that's kind of the, the mix.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I have so many questions. How-
1: Also, just so you know, <laughs> we have a website that talks all about this. That you can look all this up on. Oh, interesting. Churchofjesuschrist.org.
0: Yeah. I'm more interested in the beliefs that people around me are walking around yeah. with. Yeah. That motivate them to come out and engage with people and, and promote their, their views. To see, how did you get there? Did did you really use a reliable uh, process? Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. It's about faith. Okay. I think you mentioned faith and hope. I I don't know if you actually really defined it yet. But my question to you is, how big of a factor is faith in your 100%? Is it like what you need to get from a 99 to a 100, and you have all these other good testable reasons to get to the 99? Or are you at a 1, and you need the faith to get to the 100?
1: Faith is the first principle of the gospel. Can you repeat that? We believe that faith is the first principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Faith Faith. is the first principle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yep. What does that mean exactly? I mean, it sounds important. Yeah, yeah. Relating it back to my confidence scale question. Of course. If you can put it in numerical terms. How influential is faith in your conclusion, your 100% conclusion, I suppose, that you have it right?
1: Everything. It's a,
2: faith is essential. You can't reach that 100% without faith. Like you said, do we have the 1% or the 99%? Mm-hmm. And with the Book of Mormon, I'd say I have a 70 to 80% certainty that it is true scripture. And then the other 20% mm. is where I walk by faith.
0: Mm. Did you require faith to get to the 80%, the 70 80%? So,
2: again, I could probably say I had 10% faith just to test it out. And then 80% more was by the book. And mm. then another 10% I walk by faith.
3: Wow, this was really good. All right maybe this is 40 yard line material here anthony so you, so you get him and i love this question um and this is kind of what i was uh, referring to earlier when i i speculated that maybe it was around like 40% of it was faith and 60 or you know 60% it was confirmed by the archaeological evidence and, and all the things that he said that he researched about the book of mormon now if if he really because a lot of the listeners of this podcast have done research on The Book of Mormon and have found, oh, wait, the stories that I heard that that this missionary referenced earlier about common rituals and common temples and languages and things like that, it it doesn't hold any weight. It's only Mormon scholars who speculate on those things. No non-Mormon looks at these uh, Native American uh, cultures, people as having any tie uh, to it. But he's not looking at those sources. he's only looking at the the ones that will support so the the answer to your question, how much of it is faith? It's a hundred percent i mean there' there's not even like a a, a one it's all a hundred percent and it's that confirmation bias at at work, but he can't see it he doesn't know he doesn't understand the difference between it. It is all faith and um so it's it's really interesting to hear him say maybe I started off ten percent of it was faith and then eighty percent of it was just from the book, <laughs> like what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, and then another ten percent he's walking by faith, you know. That that that's uh, yeah. Bravo for for lobbing this question and getting this this response. I think this was a really good one.
0: Okay. How about for you? Is faith a factor?
3: In everything that I
0: do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. That was a great talk. Oh, you know, I also have these little things. Yeah. This, this is, I know you guys give something away. Yeah. I actually give something away to people who talk to me. This is a little gear because these conversations get the gears going. Mm-hmm. At least they're supposed to. And would you like to have one of these three pieces as a gift? Can I have the yellow one? Sure. I'll
2: take the red.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Do you, you. No, do you have no, any more questions it. for me? I don't even think I answered where I stand on your claim.
2: I was going to say, I was kind of wondering, what, where are you on our claim?
0: On the scale from zero to 100, where 100 is, I'm absolutely sure that this is true. Yeah. I can't be wrong on it. I can't be mistaken. On your claim that your book is a source of truth and that your God is real, I'm at a one or two percent out of 100. Have you read
2: the book of Mormon before? I haven't. Okay. I
0: haven't. Do you want one? I don't. Okay. Because I would rather have the people who think that it's true explain to me how they got to their conclusion. And if it's testable and reliable, when yep. you have really good reasons, then I will accept your book. So I am open to taking it. So if we can, not let's keep the dialogue open. Okay,
1: thank you so much, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you again. God bless you. Real,
0: I really appreciate your time. A really good talk with two young men, Mormons. Of course, it's a little bit challenging when you have more than one person, but their beliefs tended to parallel each other quite a bit. They did acknowledge that they were, he's just turning around and looking at me. Um, They did acknowledge the possibility of each of them influencing the other person. So they were at least aware of that. That's good. Gosh, look at my whiteboard. I mean, there's just notes all over the place here. But when it really came down to it, it seemed like faith was a big component for them to think that this was true. If they do come back, Obviously, we have to pick up a definition of faith from them. Their definitions might vary. And we're going to explore the impact that discovering that faith may not be a good reason or a reliable method on their 100% confidence that their holy book is true and that their God is real.
3: All right. And if we're going to define faith, let's also define true and real. (laughs) Because, uh, again, if, if, if you're defining true... As, um, you know, the the these Nephite people really existed in the old world, and there really was this guy named Nephi, and it was really translated by the power of God and golden plates, and that's true, and that that it's real, meaning uh, that there really is this God that really says these things. You know, like that's that's one way of saying true or real, right? But but what about the If you look at it as an artifact, if you look at it as this man-made, creative fiction, that you can still touch it, you can still taste it, you can still feel it, it still exists, it has an impact on the world, it has an impact in people's lives, and like a very, very real impact, a very, very true impact on their lives. And so what is the role of, of faith when you're having... Um, when you're dealing with these questions of, of truth and reality. And, and where do you draw the line on what is an okay kind of truth and what's an okay kind of reality and what's not an okay kind of truth or an okay kind of reality? Because it's, it's so obvious to me that these things are true in that sense of being meaningful, useful, effective. They actually exist in the real world. They're really here. It's really having this impact, whether it is what it claims it is or not, you know. So there, there, that's that's the piece where I still don't totally know what to do with it, to be honest, Anthony. But to just like if the outcome to get to the touchdown is to go, oh, you know what? Maybe this isn't a reliable way to determine if something is true or not. What, what does that mean? It's, it's worked for them their entire lives. It might work for them for the rest of their lives. Um, if, if it does, if it, has, if, if, if it works for them, is that not true? Is that not real? Does it not count? <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, let, let's go ahead and see what, what you've got to say for your last little bit. And then uh, we'll finish up here.
0: And, as you know from the hundreds of conversations that I've had, not misrepresent what they think about that word and how they're using that word, and see what impact it will have on their confidence and their claim that this is true. It was, for the most part, fairly quiet. And it was really a really beautiful talk with two young guys who who were extremely honest and open. And that's been my experience with Mormons, for the most part. They seem to be really eager to share what they think is true, their reasons why they think it's true, and their method for confirming it and for testing it. And if they come back, and they continue to be honest and open, and perhaps even if they come back by themselves, if they do bring somebody back like I suggested, more than likely we won't make as much progress as we could possibly make if they came back individually or in a pair again, because I think they might defer to the other leader I suppose that they end up bringing back or even if they bring back an equivalent of their level i would imagine that uh, they're going to probably be a little bit more guarded a little bit more defensive a little more deferential to the new person they bring back it'll be kind of interesting to see uh, if they show up and if they do who they bring back and the impact it has on their interaction with me great conversation
3: yeah i i agree with you anthony i think if if they if they did come back and you did have a conversation and they had like one of their ward mission leaders or mission president or something like that with them, that they would defer to this person and it would be a different conversation. Um, and, and I know you you published two of these really close. This is the first one that you published. I haven't looked at the second one yet. And so I don't know if the second one is a follow-up conversation with these same missionaries or if it's a, a completely different conversation with a different set of missionaries. But um, I'm going to review that one exactly like I reviewed this one, and I'll release it a day or two after I release this one so that listeners of Infants on Thrones will be ready to uh, engage in a conversation if you would like with Anthony Magnabosco, We're going to be talking on Thursday, January 9th at 7 p.m. Arizona time, which is 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. if you're in uh, the Pacific Coast. Uh, The details are going to be posted on Patreon, so if you're not supporting Infants on Thrones on Patreon, why not come and support Infants on Thrones on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month you have access to exclusive content and be able to engage with guests when we do live recordings like this, like we're going to be doing with Anthony. And if you you don't want to join uh, Patreon but you still want to ask some questions, you can email them to me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. And uh, we'll have Anthony on coming up to talk about these two encounters with the Mormon missionaries. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.
0: Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the 7th Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about
3: their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal
0: salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer?
1: Thank you for listening to... Infants on Thrones! Infants on Thrones!